Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. Today we're going to be talking about part two of our discussion on attending live concerts. And we talked a little bit about this, maybe more than a little bit about this on our last episode. Um, but we're coming back uh, after this pandemic, probably several months for most of our listeners since they've been able to even have the option of attending a live concert. And so as we get back into the flow of concerts being presented again and people having an opportunity to go, we wanted to talk about what to do, uh, you know, some tips that we have for choosing a concert, what to do when you go. And we talked a lot on the, the first part about kind of concert etiquette and a lot of the stuff that we haven't talked so much about on our podcast before about um, whether there are certain ways that are kind of better to behave, when to clap, all this stuff that, that can be an intimidating topic for newcomers. But today we want to talk about kind of the actual listening process and tie it a little bit more into what we talk about regularly here on the podcast of how to listen, the techniques that we talk about for listening. And so to have this second part of the discussion, I am joined again by my fantastic co-host, Hannah Reffitt. Hannah, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing very well. Um, so I want to dive right in and, and start talking about actually attending live concerts and listening to some music. We, we talked on the previous part about the kind of behavior, what to wear, when to clap. To me, all of that is, I know it can be very intimidating to people, but in many ways that's kind of secondary. What's most important for me and especially um, for our listeners, I hope, is what they're listening to, how they're listening, if they're getting enjoyment, meaning, fulfillment out of listening to classical music. So I want to start off and ask you, Hannah, um, what were some of your, uh, I, I'm curious actually if you can reflect on your experience before and after, or kind of at the early point of your career at the ISO, and as you became a more experienced concert goer, and also before and after we started recording this podcast, talking about the techniques, do you remember kind of what you did, if anything, uh, before you went to a, a live concert and and how it felt in the moment? Do, can you can you remember what you were actually listening to, for example, in a live concert? It honestly just took a long time for me to be able to fully grasp what was going on and not be so um, sort of lost in translation. It really did feel as if I had entered into a world where everyone was speaking a language that I just didn't understand. I, of course, could hear music and understand like, oh, things are happening, but never fully grasp like the narrative arc. Um, and then the journey sort of continued in a sense where I got really invested um, and I saw performances of of works that I really enjoyed and the light just sort of came on in a sense where it's like, oh, I think I really like classical music, which was just a shock and a joy at the same time. And it was Debussy's La Mer that really like struck that chord for me. It was like, wow, this is fantastic. And that actually that's a great piece for like a newcomer to just start with, in my opinion, in that like it's there's a there's a journey that goes on and it's not a particularly long piece, but 
the ways that I got there was through listening techniques of this podcast and preparation prior to any live performances that I would go to. So a strategy that I took early on was to just listen to whatever was about to come up that week, just listen to it somewhere as if I were like preparing for any other type of work um, objective in a sense where I took it very seriously in a sense where it's like, okay, I work for this organization. They're performing this piece. It is my duty to know something about it. And so that's sort of the the method that I took to just be the best that I possibly could. Well, a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, I think what you said, I think the experience that a lot of people have, like what you just mentioned there is one of in the beginning, a little lost in translation. And I often use the analogy, in fact, of we've talked in in the past about the connections between music and language. And if you've never listened to classical music before in, in any sort of kind of attentive or critical way, then to me, coming to, uh, listen to a, a piece of classical music is like trying to watch a play um, in a language you don't speak. And, you know, there are certain little cues from a play. I remember I went and saw at one point in Vienna, we went to what's called the Volksoper, which is the less classy of the two operas and uh, big operas in Vienna. And we saw... Um, I think it was Abduction from the Saraglio, a, a Mozart opera that I had never seen before and didn't know very well. And it was in German and there were no subtitles. And so I was pretty quickly very lost. And there were certain key points that I could take away from this piece. Like, okay, I saw this person, you know, drag this person off stage. That must have been something. But I was basically lost from very close to the outset. And one of the things that would have really helped me in preparing for that is if I knew that piece, if I went now and saw a magic flute or something without subtitles, I would be fine because I know exactly what's going on in that piece and I don't even really fully need to grasp the language. And so all of that to say kind of what you just mentioned. I think one of the greatest things that someone can do to prepare for a concert, especially as a newcomer, is try to familiarize yourself with specifically what you're about to hear. You know, I think one of the challenging things for beginners is go if you go to a concert, it not only demands all of this attention and you have to act a certain way, maybe. That's what we talked about on our previous podcast. It's a little intimidating. But then you've also got these massive pieces to contend with, like a Dvorak 9 or whatever it might be. And, and if you can familiarize yourself with those pieces before you go, you're going to be in a really, really good spot. And so I think what you said there is important. I, it, you know, it shouldn't feel like homework, per se. And you don't want the, the concert-going experience to be cumbersome, but you will certainly get more out of it if you're prepared. And I think that's that's a key point is that it it's unbelievably meaningful to listen to classical music attentively and critically, and hopefully all of our listeners agree with that, but it doesn't happen overnight. And if you've never been to a concert before, 
trying to just dive in like pretty much anything in life is going to be less productive. So I'm glad to hear that you kind of prepared like that. And I'm curious, what did you actually, what did you actually do when you prepared? Did that just entail turning on YouTube videos or Spotify and listening? Did you have a goal when you listened before you went? What, what did that process look like? Yeah. Um, I'm so nerdy in that I would create Spotify playlists per week at, of the whole classical subscription series at the ISO in a sense where we would announce the up- upcoming season, like early in the new year. And I would just immediately take that list and just start making playlists. And then in my free time, typically in the summer when things were a little slower, as you might recall, um, at the ISO Jacob, it's, I would just start listening week by week. And then, um, the week of whatever that performance was, I would listen, I would re-listen. And then I would also try to sit in the rehearsals. Um, so that was my sort of approach. And I think for any newcomer listeners to this podcast, I would just sort of approach it that same way with just a genuine curiosity and sort of just respectful approach to any new thing that you are curious about. Yeah. Well, I think the, the point on listening preparation is the, is the most important. And this is the one area where I personally feel like just the more you can listen, the better. And I know it's often it's it's kind of like you don't you know, if you go see a movie, um, you, you maybe don't want to you maybe don't want to like prepare that much because there's an element of like one of the greatest things about going to see a movie is like, oh, this just premiered. It's going to surprise me. It's going to. And I understand this, the, the motivation for people wanting to do that in the classical concert hall too. But in my experience, listening to a, a relatively new piece of music for people, there's two things there. One is that nothing replaces the live experience. And so however many times you've listened to it until you've heard it live, it's still going to be that really novel, incredible experience because also you're never really going to recreate the amount of focus that you're going to put in when you sit down for two hours, you're just not going to do that frequently at home on YouTube. Um, but also there's a lot more when you take away some of that novelty, if you want to see it in a positive light or in a negative light, potential confusion, then you have a much better chance at potentially not getting lost right off the bat or kind of having a chance to follow along. And and like you were saying earlier, kind of follow the thread, be able to hear fully what, what, what the composer is trying to say. And so for this, this is the one time where I'd say to our listeners that actually any listening is good listening. And so I normally don't recommend this, but if you're going to go to a concert and you know that they're going to play Beethoven 7 and you have a CD of Beethoven 7 that can go in your car. I guess no one uses CDs anymore. I still use CDs, but you you hook up your iPod or your phone to Spotify and 
this is really this is sorry that, that was a that was a brief window into my disastrous technical. You just expertise. dated yourself twice with the iPod and the C- iPod and the Spotify. CD. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's just let's brush past that. You plug in your iPhone 12 or whatever it is, uh, Bluetooth to the car. Yeah, you don't even plug it in anymore. Yeah, you Bluetooth it to the car and you listen to Beethoven 7 on Spotify Premium. Great. No ads. Um, if you throw that on in the background while you're driving, in my experience, to go back to that language analogy, I remember it's not the same, of course, as listening closely and all things equal, like listening closely is much better. But I remember I spent a summer, as I've already mentioned on this episode, in Vienna, and there was just an enormous amount of German that I heard in the background. And it was kind of an immersion by background noise. And of course, that wasn't an effective way for me to fully learn how to speak German. But I do remember when I came back and actually took formal German, it was a very, it was fun. I had always had the worst accent of anyone in any of my language classes. And somehow with German, I had by far the best accent. I understood the pronunciation also because it was this kind of immersion process. I had heard it over and over and over. And so if you can immerse yourself in some way and just get kind of familiar with the, the tempo, the rhythm, the, the style of, of classical music before a concert, that will serve you well. So that's the one time I'd recommend potentially listening in the background. Now, the other thing you mentioned there was was program notes. And I think we can clump program notes into kind of a, a whole category of, you know, anyone now can also go on Wikipedia. And if you're going to see Dvorak 9, read the Wikipedia article on Dvorak 9 or read 25 other articles on Dvorak 9. And before I give my opinion on this, I'm curious, I want to actually hear yours, Hannah. Do you, can you off the top of your head kind of compare a listening experience? Why don't we do, why don't we do this even? Because this will, well, I don't know. If you can come up with a listening experience that you remember where you feel like you didn't really know any factual information about the piece and one where you feel like you had really done a lot, you'd read the program notes or you did a lot of research, you know it was composed in this year by this style of composer. Do any performances of those come to mind and kind of how they might have differed? Yeah, I think early on, I would just go in blind to a lot of things. Um, Just because of the position that I was in at the time, it was part-time temporary. And I was just like, "Mm, I'm just going to be at the ISO for about six months and I'm going to take off and leave. Jokes on me. I was there for, I forget how many years, like three and a half years. So I think early on, like I went into Dvorak nine blind, didn't know a thing about it. Um, and, and got so much out of that experience, but cannot wait to just see it again live sometime and knowing a little bit more. Um, and then I think at the opposite end of my time with the ISO, like I was getting really into the details, nitty gritty about a number of the pieces that were being performed just because it was something nice to know. And it was a new interest that I had developed. So I like one thing that comes to mind is Berlioz Symphony Fantastique. Like I knew the whole story behind it that he Berlioz had seen 
um, Hamlet and that there was, he sort of wrote it on like an opium trip and all this stuff. So, and yeah, the, the journeys are just different, but also vastly similar in a sense where having that informed perspective, yes, is helpful, but if the piece is good, I think it'll speak to you regardless of if you are informed or not. You, you're just going to have a different experience. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with that. And I actually think, I mean, maybe this is, maybe this would surprise people, but I actually think that program notes, research, all this kind of stuff is a little bit of a double-edged sword. And so I often encourage people and I'd encourage our listeners to experiment with that potentially, but not necessarily have it be your be all end all. This is how I prepare. I think it's, it's natural. It's what we learn in school. Like, you know, your first instinct is to know, like, when was this composed? Uh, who composed it? What's the style? All of this kind of stuff, really look it up. But what I would encourage our listeners to try to avoid, um, is what I might call like the art museum syndrome or something, which is something I experience all the time where, and I've seen it in tons of other people, I've taken your boilerplate elementary art history, um, a fair amount of it, but like, I think I'm, I, I've taken probably three or four semesters worth of art history, but it's all, it's all intro level. And so I feel like I know a lot of different styles of art, different painters. I've been exposed to a lot of different famous paintings. Um, and I've been told a little bit about them. And when I go to an art museum, often the, the, the process I go through is like, oh, I know that one. I know that painter. That's good. I love that. Let me look at that for a little while. Walk to the next one. See it. I don't recognize it. I look. I don't recognize the painter. Move on immediately. And I think that is the kind of danger that you risk when you use program notes or, or uh, research, kind of factual research, as your primary modes of preparation. Because I think what people often fall into, and I found this in, in giving my pre-concert talks, what I try not to do in my pre-concert talks is give people a bunch of information that doesn't actually affect the listening experience. Because what I don't want from our listeners on this podcast is to go to a concert and just be sitting there with sound kind of washing over them, not really recognizing that, but basking in like, oh, I know that this is by Beethoven and this is cool and this is famous, so I'm going to pretend like I love it. You know, I want people to actually listen to the music, whatever it might be. And one interesting thing, I'm curious to get your reaction on this, Hannah, is what I have found actually among kind of the, so I see there's, there's, there's a spectrum of, of levels of experience for audience goers, but there's complete newcomers and then there's relative newcomers. And then there's this big chunk of people who go to a lot of concerts and fancy themselves as classical music experts, but they, they might not be professionals per se, but they go a lot. And then there's like the real, you know, you do this every day and whatever. And in that second 
highest group of people who go to a lot of concerts and, and fancy themselves as connoisseurs and stuff like that. I often find those people to be the ones who are actually the most resistant to contemporary music because they're really steeped in their knowledge of classical music as well as having listened to a lot of this stuff to the point where it's kind of that art museum syndrome. If it fits my kind of well-defined structure, I love it. And if it doesn't, I don't love it. And I've actually found a lot of total newcomers to the concert hall. You can play them a wild piece by, you know, Schoenberg, John Cage, and they'll have a pretty genuine, interested, excited reaction to it. And that's, I think, because they're just listening purely and they're kind of, and that's the kind of listening that I think we've tried to encourage over and over on this podcast. But that's, that's what I would say about kind of program notes and, and factual research before a concert. I understand the, the motivation to do so. And I think that's when people want to learn about something, that's a real, that's, that's kind of the instinct is to go to that. I remember, you know, we always talk about wine and when I was learning about wine, what I, what I did and what I still continue to do, partly because <laughs> wine is kind of expensive and like you can't drink a lot of wine every day, um, but I just did a bunch of research. And so I knew all this stuff about like identifying wines and so, but I hadn't actually tasted that much wine. And really the way that you just kind of learn and develop a palate is just by tasting a lot of wine. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on that, Hannah. If you had any experiences kind of, uh, you kind of shared them there, but if you remember any pure listening experiences, maybe to like a piece of contemporary music that you just didn't know anything about that you enjoyed or what that might've been like, um, especially kind of later in your time at the ISO when you felt a little more in command of your, your listening techniques. Yeah. I think what you bring up about your wine tasting is very interesting because, um, when you're formally taught about wine and the ways that I was, when I was in undergrad, um, you are taught sort of, for example, the spectrums of different, uh, red wines. And so like Pinot Noir is sort of like the lightest, the wateriest. And then there's like Malbec and Merlot and all that stuff at the very top, which is the most intricate and oaky. My teachings in that realm were incredibly beneficial for my learning of classical music, which we have sort of hit on with this podcast before. Um, and since we're for me, I was able to, at my time at the ISO, sort of learn the spectrum of classical music in a sense where like there is early classical music, um, there's like Gregorian chant, and then you're, you're going all the way into new commissions, new works that I was privileged to be around when I was at the ISO. So um listening to those new commissions, uh, works that had never been performed anyplace else. And for the first time were completely new, almost daunting experiences for me as a listener in a sense where I was not able to prepare for them at all as a listener. So I, you just showed up and you just sort of 
hung on for the ride. And luckily, some of those early commissions, just because of what they were commissioned for, were sort of short as opposed to like a, a longer uh, commission. So, but that also sort of presented a challenge in a sense where like, if you're not focusing for five minutes, you're going to miss that whole commission. So um, for me, for the new pieces, I would just sort of approach the listening strategy first with sort of understanding who the composer was. And if there was anything else that he or, he or she had done prior I tried to look that up and understand what that was so that I could maybe get some sort of sense as to what this new work might sound like or sort of prepare yourself as to like, how wild is this going to be? Because sometimes the new, the new commissions that are coming out today can just be completely bizarre with flower pots, for example. Um, so that type of preparation was helpful, but you are still sort of like flying by the seat of your pants, but that is what makes it so fun. Sometimes if you can just let yourself sort of chill out about like the unknown, that makes it so lovely. And I sort of, another thing that you, you, you spoke on was sort of going in blind to movies. And that's something that I talk about with some of my theater friends in a sense where we have these constant discussions of if we prefer going into new plays, new musicals, or actually classics that we just, for whatever reason, have never seen before. And if we like to know a thing or two prior or just go in blind. And you know what? Some of my favorite theater going experiences have been completely new works that I know absolutely nothing about that we just like won a lottery ticket to, or just went up to the box office and they had a ticket. Like, and those experiences were actually so fun. And I did not know where the plot was going to take me. So I think just allowing yourself to be open to a variety of experiences can be inc incredibly joyful for a, for a listener, even if you are new or if you are you know, a well-seasoned attendee, there's always going to be new works that are coming out and hopefully that organizations are championing and presenting. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's the the takeaway point probably from all of this. Uh, just one note that I thought of on the, uh, on the wine thing that you were saying is, you know, I think the wine spectrum that you pointed to is, is an excellent analogy because Classical music similarly has a broad range of styles. Um, and I remember when I was starting to, to read about wine, that's one of the first things that comes up. And a lot of that spectrum has to do with the kind of the, the look of the wine. You can tell a lot about how thick it looks in the glass, how much it tears, um, the color, the translucency, all this stuff. But similarly to classical music, I'd say that that's not really the that's not really the purpose of wine tasting right like the 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 real like kind of punchline of drinking wine is drinking wine and tasting it and smelling it and so the the look can really help and it's information that can get you to an area or something and like kind of prime your mind to to be ready to interpret this in a in a more directed way but it's not it's not a replacement for the wine or the music itself. 
And I remember, you know, for example, like when I spent a lot of time reading about wine early on, I could visually idea Pinot Noir versus a Syrah or something in seconds. And that was no problem. But if you had me close my eyes and smell those and taste those two blind, like I, I'm not even sure that I would have, would have gotten it right. You know, been able to distinguish one from the other. And that is because I just hadn't drank enough wine or tried it. And, and so that's, I think, um, that's what I would say about kind of the, the, the focus should be kind of listening to the music more than anything else. And I think what you said there is, is the real takeaway for me is that just keep yourself open to a variety of experience and, and experiment. Um, if you see what it feels like to listen to a concert relatively blind, but do your best to prime yourself and be attentive might be better to do that with a kind of concert that you know is from composers that you've already heard or something. And then try one where you read the program notes and, but what you don't want to sacrifice at any point is just the attention, the uh, focus. And one other thing that I'll mention I'm making this sound like an incredibly cumbersome process, but I actually think like so many things, if you invest the energy and time, it's, it's so worth it. One recommendation that I would have, um, even that this, this conversation has brought up for me is actually going home after a concert and taking two minutes to journal or jot down some notes as to just your genuine reactions Maybe you could also journal kind of your, your preparation, what you did before the concert, what was on the concert, and how it felt, how your focus was, all that kind of stuff. I'm, as you, I think now, Hannah, I'm obsessed with making coffee in the morning, pour over coffee, and this is what I did for like three years where I would get a coffee bag, write down the grind size that I used, the water temperature I used, the ratio of water to beans, um, if I stirred the bloom, if I didn't stir the bloom, blah, blah, blah. And then my like tasting impressions, which was really the most important thing. And in doing that, I found a kind of general style of brewing, grind size, temperature that works for me for the most part. It varies from bag to bag, but like I got there through trial and error and, you know, reflecting on what I liked. And so if people have the time, I don't think that takes very long. You just write down very briefly, even jot it down in your phone right after the concert, just like today felt blah, blah, blah. And then you, you have that to kind of reflect on well after the fact and just try to, you know, kind of come up with, with a, a, a system that works for you. And so that's, that's something that I would potentially recommend uh, to our listeners is just jotting down a couple notes um, after the concert. One last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up this discussion, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Hannah, because I think in the actual concert, we're, we're going to leave most of that discussion to the other 80-some episodes that we have on this podcast. But one question that I think comes up all the time for new listeners that I would recommend trying to avoid at all costs is the question of, am I doing this right? I think that, I think people often 
get lost in that feeling when they go to a concert for the first time. Am I doing this right? And a lot of things can contribute to that. All of the stuff we talked about on the previous episode of am I wearing the right thing? Am I clapping at the right time? That can all hinder the actual pure, undisturbed listening process. And I'm curious, Hannah, did you ever early on find yourself asking that? Like, am I listening properly? What am I missing? And and do you, if so, do you kind of remember whether that kind of eased away at some point and, and your feelings with that kind of sensation of, of am I doing this right? Oh, every day. I, <laughs> I feel like I would ask, like, am I doing this right? Still, still to this day, out, I think outside of classical music, I'm like, am I doing, am I doing life right? But um, yeah, I would be asking that constantly at concerts like am I understanding what I think I'm understanding or am I fully grasping this or just feel like I don't understand like I I can't grasp it's as if all of the music is going in through one ear and out the other and I'm not absorbing things which is such a lost like a lost investment but I think what really helped me were some of like the listening techniques from this um, podcast, for example, like um, the mental palace uh, practice that we would use in a sense where when I was preparing, I was able to sort of mentally label and assign sort of uh, musical sections and in my preparation. And then when I would go into the concert those things would come back up and I would be able to classify them and name them, which was such a validating experience. And it was very fulfilling in a sense where I was able to recognize like, Oh, that was very interesting that like the, the bass's tempo were, was a little different, for example. Um, so then you're able to really contextualize the, peace in the performance and that is sometimes the most exciting in a sense where you can sort of start having discussions with other people that are familiar um and you could pick up on these things so that to me felt like oh i'm i'm getting it this is going this is going well um but that's like a constant you you constantly have to keep up with it you you really do I think it's it's a reflection of one of the major challenges that, that most people face in life, like you said, which is the kind of imposter syndrome and the, the whole, am I, am I doing this right? And what do people think of me? What, you know, all of those questions. And like so many things in life, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to turn this podcast into a therapy session, but you know, you talk to people and they talk about like, man, I just spent like two years of my life worrying about what people thought about me and I don't even remember what I was doing, you know, and it, because you're, you're consumed with kind of that question of, am I doing this right? And to the extent that you're able, I actually personally, it's easier said than done, of course, but I see the concert hall as one of the greatest places to escape from that because really what, what you're doing is entirely in your own head. It's kind of like 
It's kind of like meditating, like, like I've talked about before on this podcast. I mean, there's all these questions that come up when you're meditating uh, about like, am I doing this right? Is this working? Is this not? But as you, as you do it a little bit, you start to learn that those questions are, are not only not important, but like kind of meaningless and they can't be answered. And, but the great thing about meditation, or I would argue going to a concert is that because it's happening all in your own head and you don't, you don't have to share it with anyone. Um, you, you can, you can, uh, you don't have to worry about the social anxiety of our other people noticing that I'm doing this right. And I know part of the challenge for so many people is that, and I, I'm sure you've experienced this, Hannah, almost everyone I've ever talked to who works um, in classical music feels this way uh, as like a non-professional, that you get into conversations after the fact where someone's like, can you believe that the second violinist like screwed up that passage? And you're standing there like, I didn't notice that. Um, but that's fine. And that's not what we're talking about here. And the am I doing it right question for me, and, and none, no listener has to hear that to have a meaningful experience. All you have to do is, is listen attentively and, and just purely hear the music as far as I'm concerned. And so those conversations can be intimidating and bring up all of that imposter syndrome stuff. But for the time, the hour and a half, the two hours that you're there by yourself in the seat, it's just you, and to the extent that you can avoid constantly asking yourself, am I doing this right? I think you'll find if you just kind of softly dismiss that question and instead shift your focus to listening to the music, you'll find that almost immediately you'll be like, oh, there's, there's no real thing to do right or wrong here. I'm just listening, and I'm listening and interpreting, and that's great. So I think that's a hugely dangerous one and one that can be brought up very easily by the concert hall. But if you kind of reframe it, flip it around and, and think about the concert hall as a great opportunity to just be there. You're around a bunch of people, but none of them know what your listening process is like. So you can just experience it for yourself. So that's what I would say on, on going to a concert. And Hannah mentioned, I mean, if you're, if you're preparing to go to a concert, I, I would like to think that uh, reviewing the techniques from this podcast and trying to apply those in concert uh, is, is very beneficial. It's certainly one way to redirect your attention from, am I doing this right, to, you know, kind of light but directed techniques for focusing on the music. Um, and hopefully all of our listeners... Uh, we'll have an opportunity at some point in the coming months to to go to a concert because there's really nothing like it. So, Hannah, I, thanks so much, as always, for, for joining us again. Uh, quick question before we go off, um, put you on the spot because we're getting ready to go back to live concerts. I'll, I'll, while you answer, I'll think of mine. Give me your ideal program of what you would like to hear um, first when you... If you were able to have the Indianapolis Symphony at your beck and call and say, play me this program, what would be on it? Um, God, there's so many. It would be like a seven hour concert, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure everyone that is listening already knows what I'm going to say, which is Beethoven 7. I would like to see <laughs> Dvorak New World. It's all going to be like classic canon hits, but you know what? I have no shame. Um, 
you know, I've been really into uh, Brahms violin concerto. Literally could be any soloist at this point. I just like, just give it to me. You know, Brahms Uh, violin concerto is the piece that convinced me to play the violin and and become a musician um, from the outset. It's my, it's like mm. pretty much my favorite piece ever. So I love it. Is it? I I feel like we've talked about this because I love Daniel Day-Lewis and I love There Will Be Blood. Oh yeah. Brahms is in that. Yeah. yeah. God, it's so good. (laughs) Um, I think I'm going to stop there because I could just go Sibelius five. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. I'm going to stop. What about you? Those are great choices. I'm, what I'm thinking about is, you know, I, of course, just just as part of my life, I listen to an enormous amount of music. And so I'm not thinking so much about specific, like, types of music that I would want to hear so much as what pieces benefit the most from a live performance. And one of the things that is amazing about live performance that you can't really get in a recording is the extremes of dynamics because when you're listening to classical music you know you're often like turning up the volume so that you can hear the soft stuff and then turning the volume way down so you can hear the loud stuff so i think something that is really subtle that has incredibly soft music would be would be kind of kind of fun to listen to um and i'm trying to think you know actually a piece that comes to mind is that would be great live is uh Vaughn Williams' Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis, which is a very soft piece, but also has this kind of, this stereo, there's a quartet that plays off in the distance, and it's very much, uh, it it benefits a lot from being played live, because there's all these stereo effects. So, I also think in that vein, maybe maybe I would include uh, Fountains and Pines of Rome on my list, because those are amazing pieces, but also Pines of Rome has all this offstage brass, it's super epic ending. And uh, the other great thing to just listen to live, which I think doesn't get captured, is kind of either Baroque or early classical music that's just so brimming with joy and excitement. It doesn't quite come through, for, in my experience, in like a, through the computer. So maybe some, maybe a Mozart piano concerto. It's it's fun stuff to hear live. So that's that's my program there. Um, but yeah, I for I, I'm I'm super excited to to get back, you know, in Indy we're we're coming back in in a few weeks, so so that'll be exciting. Um, I think limited at most audience, but hopefully for our listeners, if they have a, a chance to get into one of these limited audience type concerts, or in the fall certainly when when we come back, they'll take that opportunity. So Hannah, thanks so much for joining us as always, and uh, we will see all of our listeners again soon. And good luck uh, going back to a, to a classical concert. Hope everyone can, can get that opportunity in the coming weeks and months. So we will see you again here soon at Attention to Detail. Mm-hmm.